I'm glad we don't have to fear all their lifetime we're in bondage who are subject to that fear. You know, we, I don't, you know, I'm not looking to go die tomorrow, but, <clears throat> you know, we don't live in that kind of fear. Uh, but um, I know that the power is in the hands of him who the Bible says he wounds, he heals, he makes sick, he kills, he makes alive. He's got all the power to do any and everything needs to happen. So whatever, what, however it goes, uh, it's a, kind of a cliche in some ways. Some people use this, but he's still on the throne. Um, America may not know what to do, uh, but God certainly has all the answers. And have them right here in this book. So you can have peace in the time of trouble. And uh, so thank you for the good songs. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate you so much as well. And um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I'll try not to cough uh, in your uh, ear, so to speak, so much tonight, but I cannot get rid of that cough. And uh, so, anyhow, I do appreciate the Lord's faithfulness to his people. I'm like Brother Jones, I'd hate to be caught up in this day with something that you cannot see. You think of the fear that grips the heart uh, when God said, let my people go. And He sent all that He sent into the land of Egypt. Imagine just being the average person. The fear, you can't see a virus. You can't see, you know, if I, I can see a man trying to sneak in my back window and I got a chance to shoot him before he gets in. And uh, I would too. But uh, a virus you can't see. And just imagine the fear. And you have no peace with God whatsoever. And having the fear of what's going to happen to me when I die. You ever think about that? I mean, I, I, I thought about it a lot before I got saved. If what they believed at the time, because I wasn't a Christian, if what they're saying's right, if this thing gets me and kills me, I'll wake up in the flames of the damned for all eternity. If what they're saying is right, I, I, I just that ought to put some fear, and there's and, and it doesn't seem to be much fear, you know, uh, right with people anymore. Uh, but it ought to put some fear in our hearts that it is appointed unto man wants to die, and after this is the judgment, and uh, none of us will miss standing before and answering to our Creator. And um, so I hope uh, that your faith and trust and hope might be in God. And um, if it is, I already know the end of the story for you, and we've already won. We're not on the winning side, we're on the one side. He's already won. Uh, and now the Father said, Sit thou while I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so um, <clears throat> he'll put all things under his feet and reconcile all into one in Christ. And uh, that day's coming. And so we see the times, the, uh, Jesus often would uh, uh, tell the Jews and those that were alive on the earth at this time, he said, it's funny to me, now he obviously didn't say that, but you can discern the face of so many things, but you cannot discern, and it's amazing to me, I have to ask the same thing to people in our day, even Christians, not even just lost people, it's amazing to me, we see the times are coming. We see the Bible literally being fulfilled, and it doesn't hurry us up or motivate us to do any more right than we did yesterday. That's a, that's a problem, isn't it? And uh, it ought to. It ought to. Um, you know, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
makes me all the time think about when the preachers would come. I don't know if any of you have any experience with this, but when you go, Brother Rupi, I know you probably do, Brother Jones, Brother Ben, Brother Nate, some of you men, you go knock on doors in this community. If anybody's got any fear, if you're a Christian, they'll try every way in the world, hold on a minute, let me put my beer cans up and everything else, you know. Uh, they have a little bit of fear before somebody comes in. Uh, if you're a kid, when I used to hear at night, if I wasn't doing something right with my friends or something, if I heard my dad wake up, buddy, we was going to straighten up quick. Because I knew once daddy got down there, it was going to get ugly. And uh, that's a very awful picture of what I'm trying to say. But if you think about that verse, uh, behold, I think that is probably talking about fellowship. Uh, but it's talking about Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's coming. And he's right on the other side of the door. And for me and you, at any time, all he's got to do is, is come right on through. And uh, so we need to be about our Father's business. Go to First Peter. That's what I guess is Peter's trying to tell us in the book of First Peter. He's trying to remind us what we are. And if we are a nation of priests, then we ought to be busy in front of God for men. Uh, that's what priests do. And so we should be about our Father's business. Is that not what Jesus said He was? And so as you've received Him, we ought to walk as He walked. And uh, He was about the business of the Father. Not my will, but thine be done. And His Father's will was the most important. So Peter's trying to make sure, uh, talking about all the suffering times in chapter number 1, that we don't lose sight of our blessing, of our blesser, and don't forget that we have a duty. And don't forget when times of suffering come, uh, people have a tendency not to do what they're supposed to do. And we have that tendency in ourselves, me, my four, and no more. And we'll draw up into our little box. And we got to be careful of that. Whether there's a coronavirus or no coronavirus, uh, the Bible doesn't say unless people are getting sick, uh, you know, go ye into all the world. So we have to do our best to do what God told us to do, be wise, and uh, do what the Lord still instructed us to do, and uh, not let fear grip our hearts, uh, because the Bible says obviously that fear, our hearts can fail us. So we can also uh, grow weary in our minds, faint. Our hearts could fail us and we could get fearful. And so just try to um, <clears throat> not do that. And I'm not talking about anybody, uh, you know, in particular. I'm just saying in general, don't let fear and Fox News and, and uh, the other news corporations get fear in your heart. And um, just believe God, trust God, and be smart. And uh, the Lord will help you. He'll give you a mind, a good sound mind. And uh, that's what we're going to try to do here. But in the book of First Peter, we're going to go back and we'll try to look at some things. Actually, it helped me um, some as I was studying uh, on through First Peter a little bit more today. Uh, some things, obviously, it's amazing to me. We just come down to a verse that touches on the very subject of what we're dealing with. And that seems like when you preach through the Bible, you'll go through times and you'll hit the verse you need at the right time. I don't know how God just works that out. But He helped me, so we'll get to that. But let's just begin, if we could, 
Uh, let's just start somewhere uh, here uh, in, say, verse number 6. Uh, also, it's contained in the Scripture. Uh, Behold, I lay in sign a chief cornerstone that's elect and precious, talking about our blessed Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded, uh, shall not be ashamed. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. And uh, that is a, some folks' favorite verse in the Bible because that is so true. He is our life and He is precious to us. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And I'm just going to say in passing here, at verse number 7, uh, just in passing, uh, this same thing is true in verse number 7 and verse number 8 in our day that it was then. Unbelieving Jews that would not have this man to rule over me and to rule over us and did not seek my faith and did not receive their Messiah, it did not change the fact that he was still the cornerstone. And so today, you may not believe Jesus is the Messiah. You may not be born again. You may think everybody's crazy uh, for believing in Jesus and all that we do and are and uh, that it describes that we are here in these verses. Uh, But it doesn't change the fact that God has made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ and He's still the chief cornerstone. He's still the headstone. He's still uh, very precious and elect to God and He's very precious to us. And so regardless of what you think about Him, it doesn't change the truth. The truth is still true. And uh, whether you receive it or not, everything true about God exists outside of your opinion of it. Isn't that wonderful? That's what I love about God. He's he's self-sustaining. He doesn't uh, depend on truth is that which would be there whether you believe it or not. Uh, He is truth and He is what He is. You'll believe one day the Bible says that the things in the earth, under the earth, things in heaven, everything will bow and and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only problem then is it won't save you then. Uh, The only hope you have now is to receive the love of the truth and confess Him now. Uh, because in that day it will not save you, but you'll, you will do it. Won't that be a great day? It'll be a wonderful day for me. I don't know about you because we've already, like Paul, we bowed the knee. He's already mine, I'm already his, and he's already my Lord, and I'm thrilled that he is. Uh, but there'll be some up there that have kicked and fought and blasphemed, and, and God's going to make every Hitler, he's going to make every single God-denying, faithless, uh, pervert, sodomite that has tried to do everything they can to take rip God out of this country, every one of them are going to bow in front of a holy God and confess Him as Lord. And so that's wonderful whether you like it or you don't. And so uh, I say amen to that. Now, and verse number 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now that's just like in Jude. That doesn't prove Calvinism. Uh, Anybody that's disobedient to the Word of God will stumble through life. And that's what they're appointed to, just like in the book of Jude. It's not saying that they're appointed to stumble, that God pre-elected them based on nothing and predetermined that they would not believe or be obedient to the truth. That's not what that verse is saying. Uh, So anyhow, that's in verse number 8. And so then we get on down to seeing how that we are peculiar and that we're priests and all the various things we've mentioned in verse number 9. And that ought to keep our hearts warm because this is something that you 
are, not something that you are so long as you do something else, right? God's character uh, is proven to be, from the beginning, uh, such a God that is only pleased by faith, right? Uh, By the works and the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Nobody, God has uh, chosen a generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Uh, That's what you are. And if you're saved, that's what you'll always be. Uh, you'll never not be, uh, and this just goes, and I'm going somewhere with this, uh, but this is true. If it's ever been true, it shall always be true in you. Uh, you'll never lose your salvation. Uh, you are saved eternally. That's a truth us Baptists sometimes take for granted. Uh, but that is something that will always be there. I'll always be his. He'll always be mine. And uh, if you've ever had him, if so be you've tasted, this is what you are. Uh, and so this is uh, true in verse number nine about every saved person that's alive today. Again, this is a spiritual group of people, right? Uh, so this is verse number nine talking about the church body. This is uh, those that have been uh, made royal priests in a holy nation because that verse uh, that gives us this spiritual uh, application. It's talking about the spiritual uh, group of people, and that's what I believe uh, here in verse number 9. I do not believe he's addressing only uh, in this book, Tribulation Saints, and so he's talking to the nation of Israel. Uh, This is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you and I are and alive today, okay? Verse number nine, wonderful, that you should show forth the praises of him that's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can I ask you if you're here tonight, have you been called out of darkness into his marvelous light? I hope you have. I hope you have. I really do. Uh, seeing so much the way the world's going, uh, there's more and more darkness engulfing our country. And, uh, you know, there's uh, no righteousness in the land. There's no soundness in us anymore. Kind of like the Old Testament where uh, putrefying sores, there's no soundness in us. We, uh, we've neither been nullified from the, from the heel of our foot to the top of our head. Uh, there's no soundness in the people in this country. Uh, people don't know what bathrooms to go into. There's 1,400 uh, different uh, sexes and uh, genders. You can just choose to be a monkey if that's what you identify as. And uh, uh, people are so messed up, folks. The most basic uh, uh, thing of science can't be accepted by people. Uh, It's funny how they uh, operate that way. Uh, But there's no soundness in our country. There's no righteousness in our country. We don't bat an eye at murdering children. We don't bat an eye at people dying from drug overdoses and uh, injecting themselves sales with needles and getting drunk and uh, fornication and adultery, murder, uh, the uh, divorce rate is, there's no telling. I, five or six years ago, it surpassed over 52% uh, in professing evangelicals. There's no telling what it is now. Uh, you know, homes mean nothing. Marriages mean nothing. Promises mean nothing. Nobody's got any soundness in their words. If they tell you something today, it's going to change tomorrow. Nobody has any character hardly. This country uh, is uh, sick from the sole of its foot to the crown of its head, and I love it dearly. Uh, but uh, God's not an American, and uh, we need to remember that our home is not here. Though we are going to do everything we can and are instructed to do and be good citizens, this is not my home. And 
so we should pray for this country, uh, but it ought to spur you on to want to seek something else. There's, I promise you there's more to life than just the continual darkness. There's, uh, God didn't intend for people to live in darkness and to be surrounded by uh, darkness and misery and, and pain and anguish and, and all the things that go on out in the world. Uh, God's purpose for people is that they be born again uh, by the Lord Jesus and have light and joy and peace and he giveth more grace. That is what God's purpose for your life is. He wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory in this life and that's to come. Enjoy him forever. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to enjoy and be satisfied with him and more than anything else in this world. That's what he wants for you. And uh, so I do hope that you're saved. I hope you've been called out of darkness. There's even independent Baptists that would teach you uh, quite the opposite here. Uh, it's not if he called you out of darkness. It's if you repeated something, then you're in. Uh, there's preachers in this county that preach that kind of thing. Uh, but we know that's not true. If salvation hasn't wrought a change, then I would be skeptical of my salvation. He makes a new creature out of people. And I know people get tired of hearing that, but it needs preached against. There is nobody going to heaven because they repeated a prayer. And you're not saved by calling out. You're saved by believing in thine heart. Faith is what justifies a person. You will call out if you have faith. Then you will not uh, be, uh, be, will be difficult to anyhow, but you will be a new creature. Uh, darkness will flee from the presence of the marvelous light. You will stumble along the way. You'll fail along the way. You're not going to be perfect and neither am I. But there's one thing about my life, brother, I can say changed in me is the darkness fled and the light of God came in. I'm telling you, I had light and joy and peace and even being a failure and knowing what I am and knowing what I couldn't be, knowing what I was, all the darkness that was there. I'm telling you, God, when he stepped in, brought some light into my life, brought some joy into my children, brought some joy into my home. My marriage had some joy in it. We had light. The darkness had fled. And I'm telling you, there's times that I go back and I think back to the times of darkness, but it's like a distant memory I can't even hardly remember anymore because God brought his glorious light and shed it abroad into this little old sinner's heart and gave me some hope that I might lay hold of something beyond this miserable temporal life. There has to be something more to life than just misery and wake up and, and go to work and sin and all that. It, there's got to be something more. There's no way if you just look at the makeup of a human being that that could happen by accident. If it didn't happen by accident, then this marvelous design has a designer whose name is God Almighty and I am required to answer to him one day and I hope you figure it out before you die. Don't talk about design and deny a designer. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. You want to believe it happened by accident, help yourself. <laughs> it's hard for me to accept that the, um, somehow just in the eons of time there was some big bang and then all of a sudden come out. Uh, you, you, there's no way you could tell me that. You, you, with the, with the, the things that make up the human body, 
just looking at our, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not uh, just uh, hap- just so happened to uh, come onto earth one day. And uh, man, we're wonderfully made. God had the members of our bodies written in a book, and they were fashioned in accordance to those members. God foreknew all of us. He knew everything about you. God, there's a creator. There's a designer that has set out to paint a beautiful creation, and I say He's done a good job, haven't you? Don't you? <laughs> even in the fall, even in, in the curse. It's a, uh, you, you look at the mountains and the sunrise and you think that thing just comes up because one day in the atmosphere of the sky, one day something went bang and, and the sun rises and the moon and the earth tilts the way that it did. And, and Man, you've got to be on dope to believe something like that. You've got to be dumb on purpose. You almost have to go to school to end up back ignorant. Amen, Brother Reed. I mean, you, you almost got to be dumb on purpose for that. It takes a lot of faith to believe that. <laughs> now, boy, I hope you're saved. I hope you're saved. There's nothing like being saved. Which in times past were not a people. It talks about being a people. Now we move on in verse number, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in verse number 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, strangers, we ought to. Look different to this world, shouldn't we? We ought to sound different to the world. Look different than the world. We ought to. Uh, we ought to stand out. Uh, when somebody that's colored different than you uh, comes from a different country than you do, or looks different than you do, they stand out. You hear them talk, and they. You, you can't. I don't know. They stand out. They're different. You know that fellow ain't from around here. Or they say. Uh, if they say, excuse me, good sir, can I have a pop? That old boy ain't from down here. Right? He's a stranger. He's not from here. That's how we ought to look here, right? You start talking about <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, you start saying amen and amazing great. We ought to be stand out different. The world ought to know we're strangers to this world. They ought to know we don't belong here, right? Strangers, pilgrims headed home. And he goes on and talks about this world not being our home. We're pilgrims. We have a home we're headed to. And so we're to abstain from these fleshly lusts also that war against your soul. And then having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now I wrote this down. We won't go there. Uh, well, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel and just look at something quickly that we need to see before we go back to the book of Genesis. Look at 1 Samuel quickly. 1 Samuel chapter number 20, I believe it's 24. <clears throat> I need to get somebody else to write my notes here so that I can read them. 1 Samuel 24. I wanted to read this. We know the story here, but I wanted to read this to you. Uh, if you look at uh, Excuse me. Uh, have I wrote down the wrong verse again, brother? First Samuel twenty four seventeen. Am I in the right book? I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong place. This ain't it. Can I just give it to you? This is what happens when I write notes. David convicted Saul with his kindness, didn't he? And Saul said to him, you have shown me kindness 
you've been a much better man to me than I've been to you. And that convicted Saul in his heart. And if you think about it in this verse, that's exactly what I think that verse is trying to tell me and you. If we got any hope of reaching this world, we're going to have to kill them with kindness. We're going to have to be honest. We're going to have to live right. We're going to have to be true to what we say we believe so that we might make a difference in the world. I think that's what the verse is talking about. And David, if somebody finds that verse, please come correct my notes for me later on, okay? Uh, Verse number 12, uh, verse number 13, excuse me, and I want to just mention this in passing because the Lord put this on my heart earlier. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. I'm back in 1 Peter, excuse me. Verse, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So I just wanted to touch that verse quickly because if you go back and look, I I just want to say two things in in that verse, and then I want to go to Genesis before we go on. Uh, Submit yourselves to how many ordinances? Now, we all know what an ordinance is, uh, but it says to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, that got me to thinking about some of this stuff they're doing with shutting these, asking churches not to meet, anybody over 10 people not to meet. I got to thinking quite a bit about that. But here's the balance that we've got to have when we look at that verse. The balance we've got to have is you cannot deny how many times in Scripture when anybody was commanded to do something that crossed God, what would they say? Should we obey you or should we be obey God? And so there has to be a balance struck that there's an ordinance that can be out there that says we don't want nobody meeting anywhere. Now, I don't think anybody's trying to do that to shut churches down. I don't believe that at all. I think that's a, uh, you have to be a conspiracy theorist kind of fellow to believe that. So I just don't believe that kind of thing. Uh, I don't think that's what's happening. But they have requested that people should not meet and requested that, not forced it so far. And so there's uh, the reason I say pray for these pastors is because there's a hard decision to make because God said don't forsake the assembly of yourselves. And he didn't say unless somebody gets sick or unless, he just said do not forsake the assembly of yourselves. And then on the other side they say we don't want you to meet for 15 days. So there's a delicate balance that has to be struck there. And I don't, I don't, I'm not upset at anybody that takes the side on either way. So it just takes a lot of prayer. But let me, moving past that, we ought to be the best citizens this country has. We ought to be the most faithful people, the most obedient people that this country knows. We'll never win people. Because what we're trying to do is what to the foolishness of men. Look at, look at the next verse. For, uh, 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 for so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so our duty, God wants us, here's what he said, and I hear people say this all the time, I'm going to do what I do and I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, Jesus did. You know in those verses when he talks about Peter, uh, uh, he had been asked, uh, should he pay tribute? He'd been asked, uh, and he said, come here just a minute. And he was stood him in the house there and he said, now who do they take tribute from? Their own children or from strangers? And he said, strangers. And he said, well, uh, so, and he goes on to talk about something else. I'm trying to get into what he said at the end of that is, but so so that we don't offend them, go and cast your nets. Because you're not going to win anybody by being a rebel. 
right? So we try, we're going to obey God, number one, but we're going to be good citizens. So long as they don't cross this Bible, I want to do everything my government asked me to do, right? We all should obey the ordinances of man to show that we are good citizens. Now, there's more to that, but if you'll, I've got some verses written down. If you look at uh, how Pharaoh praised Joseph, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel, uh, if you see how they claim that they served well, uh, there's so many uh, places in the Bible where people were affected by somebody that wanted to live right. Now, turn with me quickly, because we're going to begin something that we will be on for a while. I want to stop right here. And I'm going to completely change gears on you, okay? And we're going to go back to Genesis 12 and then go home. But we're going to begin to look just quickly at what we began to look at a couple of services ago. Now, the Bible says that you and me are Gentiles, right? Anybody in here can trace their lineage back to Abraham physically. Do we have any Jews in here and know what tribe they're on? So we're all Gentiles. So the Bible says about me and you, we were strangers from all the covenants, plural, that God made with other people. Not, not us. God's never promised me as a Gentile a land. Physically, physically, I'm talking physically now. We just got to looking at we're a holy nation. We have a land. Don't mistake that. We do have a country. I'm talking physically, not, not spiritually. We just looked at the spiritual, what we are spiritually. But physically, God, this started back in Genesis 12, and we're going to look at Abraham's covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, what God made a covenant with Abraham. There's many covenants in the Bible. A covenant can be made between people. It can be made between nations, between groups of people. Uh, but God made a covenant with Abraham. And so there's some important things that have to do uh, with where me and you are blessed and uh, have to do with so many things in the Bible. Uh, physically uh, speaking, there is a group of people uh, that are, in my opinion, alive today uh, that God still loves dearly and will still bless and curse others that bless and curse them. And the way we get that is where we're going to go back and look at some things here. So in Genesis chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at this covenant that God makes with Abraham, verse number one of Genesis 12. Now, just before I get here, we kind of know what's going on. If you go back uh, in Genesis chapter number 11, uh, and you look down beginning in verse number 27, you see how that, uh, uh, you know, God's called Abraham out of the earth of Chaldee. He said, get up and go to a land which I'm going to show you. Uh, let's see, verse number 28. If you just back up one chapter into Genesis 11, uh, you see all that happens uh, in the life of Abraham. He does get up to go, uh, but he makes a pit stop somewhere uh, on his way. And so what ends up happening is his father dies, and uh, God uh, reiterates his covenant to him. Now, while this is important, I want you to have something on your mind. I'm going to seem to ramble, and I'm going to do my best not to do that to you. But uh, what we have to keep in mind here is something that's very important is God made a covenant with Abraham, and we're going to read it. He makes it in several places, and he reiterates it several times even after the disobedience of Abraham. Was Abraham told to take his parents with him? Was his father supposed to go? Is Abraham supposed to stop anywhere before he gets there? 
No. God said, get up and get out of this country and go to a land that I'm going to show you, right? And so even after uh, he stops in several different places, you see Abraham being disobedient, uh, even says one time, hey, wife, you're very pretty. Uh, if people see you, they're going to want, and they're going to kill me, so just tell them you're my sister. Faithful Abraham. God confirms his covenant again after that. God confirms his covenant to his children, to Isaac, to Jacob. Uh, so there's a lot of people that believe uh, that this uh, covenant that God makes with Abraham, this promise that God makes to Abraham, this, this uh, I don't want to say deal because that's not uh, the right word I want to use, but this covenant is the right word that God makes with Abraham uh, is uh, it's either conditional upon, because there are conditional covenants in the Bible. God says, if you know, how, you know a conditional covenant because it will say this, if ye will. I will. Five times you will see God say this language, I will. This is what I'm going to do, Abraham. He doesn't say, as long as you do this now, if you don't do this, it's over. He says, I will do this. Now, let's read it and keep all this in mind. This is very important because if this is conditional, and you'll even get on over to chapter number 17, uh, I believe it's in chapter 17, and you'll see circumcision come into play. And you'll think to yourself, now hold on here a minute. Uh, if, uh, uh, if this is an unconditional promise and covenant that God's made to Abraham, why would he say you must be circumcised? That doesn't sound like, like it's a condition, doesn't it? Well, we're going to read that, that if, you, if we just think about it just for a minute, um, I think it's important we get there, so I better hurry because I've wasted enough time. Uh, but it, it, it is not conditional uh, because uh, he says, uh, he uses a word like this, it will be a token. You know what a token means, Hunter? A token means a sign. It'll be a sign, a token. You know what's a sign after me and you get saved? Baptism. It pictures what God's done for me. It is not conditional that I get dunked in that pool or go to heaven when I die. That is foreign to this Bible. Water baptism saves nobody. It's a sign of what God's already done in the heart of a person, and it's a picture to the world that I have dead in Christ, and I have risen, and I shall live forever. It's a burial. It's not a birth. Baptism's a burial to a man who's already died, and he raised to walk in newness of life. It's a picture. No more than the sacraments, no more than uh, the, the church ordinance of, of the Lord's Supper. It doesn't save anybody. Do this as often as you do it, you show forth the Lord's death till they come. It's a picture of what, it's, it's reminding us that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. It's a focus on him. It's a remember, there's nothing saving in it, right? So if God saves you, and I'm going to call it unconditionally because I'm talking about works. Now, it is conditional upon repentance and faith. You're not, nobody's getting saved but by faith. So you can't call that a condition because faith's not a work. If it was, it wouldn't be contrasted in the Bible. Faith and works are contrasted. They'd be the same if it was a work. So faith's not a work, no more than repentance is a work. 
Now, <coughs> let me go on here because those things are important. Uh, if what God promised all the way back in Genesis 12 here, verse number 1. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now just let the Bible say what it said. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou Abraham shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee there's I will again and curse him that curseth thee and in thee in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed what does Abraham do in verse 4 Abraham by faith Never seen this supposed land that he's going to. Gets up and departs. And as the Lord had spoken unto him, Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother and all their substance. And they gathered the souls and all that down through verse number 6. He passes through a land which is not in the Jezreel Valley. It's a different Sikkim uh, under the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Now look at verse number 7. So Abraham has just been promised by God. Look at the first time he speaks this in verses 1 through 3. I don't see any conditional uh, just so long as if you will. He says, get up and this is what I'm going to do. I am going to do this. I will make of thee a great nation. You have three different promises here. And he, he expounds as he moves forward with Abraham. He begins and says he's going to bless him. He blesses, and, a, and there's a national blessing. There's a personal blessing to Abraham. And then there's a universal blessing uh, through the seed, which is Christ, who shall come. And all the nations and families of the earth shall be blessed. And they have been. Since Jesus stepped foot on this earth, this nation, this, this country, the countries around us, this entire world, the families of the earth have been blessed. God has been with us. Now, look at, uh, let's move on down now. Uh, and, and Genesis 12 here in verses 6 through 7, uh, you see that it's repeated again. And look at what God says about this land. Verse number 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. And you go on down through there. So in verse number 7 and verse number 6 and 7, you see God repeats again to him, Abraham, I will give you this land. And now turn with me over just one time. It's been repeated. Look again in chapter 13. Start in verse number 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him. Oh, chapter 14. So I'm, I wish this stuff, you didn't have to skip through some of this stuff. Don't, don't you wish we had about three or four hours in here? We could just go through the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I just, I enjoy. He's going to get to the... Why is this so important? Well, I, there's many reasons, but you know what I thought today, I was thinking about today, Brother Jones. It was so important, this land, this Jerusalem, that uh, it was so important to God. See, that's God's land. Now, He gave it to those Jews, but that's God's land. 
And he knew in, in, in time uh, that, that Christ would come, what does the Bible say, and take the throne of his father David. And he would rule and reign from Jerusalem. Now, this is, is just wonderful to me, but if you'll think about it, this priest, this high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, uh, was in Salem before there was ever a Jew there. That land was so important to God for whatever reason that God had a priest there long before he had a Jew there. There was somebody offering spiritual sacrifices and preaching uh, and teaching uh, a justification by faith through grace, uh, by grace through faith uh, long before there was ever a Jew there. Because he's going to tell Abraham and offers him the wine. Now, uh, anyway, I, so it's highly important evidently to God, not to me, because I'm going there. I don't want to go to Israel. Now, I'd like to visit there. Be wonderful to see. But I'll see it soon enough. I'm going to see it soon enough. So I'm not concerned so much about that land. But evidently God is. Look how many times over and over. He doesn't say, now, uh, just I want you to think with me and imagine in your mind uh, this land. He gives boundaries to the thing. He says, he he gives the perception to it. Not only hearing, he tells him, but he says, now open your eyes and I want you to look from, from north to south to east to west. All the land that you see with your eyeballs. Not that you see in a vision. Not that you imagine might be there in heaven. But the land that you see with your eyeballs. I'm going to give you that land into thy seed forever. Now that's what he says. I, I don't know how else to take it. But just, just what he said. Now look again with me. We're in chapter 13. He's reconfirming the covenant once again uh, unto Abraham. And uh, verses number, uh, see, start in verse 14. And the Lord said to Abraham, uh, after that Lot was separated, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Lift up your eyes. Look, Abraham, I want you to look. I'm going to give you all this. Some people say, Brother Reed, it's some 300,000 square miles. Now, I don't know. But you're talking about most of Egypt, Syria, parts of Lebanon. You're talking about a vast, massive piece of land. And I think it didn't depend on where they put their foot. It depended on what God told them he was going to get. And God said, well, Every you can see, and he lays out the boundaries from the Mediterranean to the, uh, to the Jordan, I believe it is, from one river to another, from the Nile to the Euphrates, from the Mediterranean to the other, you're going to have all of that land. Now that's what he says. He even gives physical locations to it. He talks about the Nile, the Mediterranean Sea. He talks about the, uh, the Jordan. He talks about physical places that Abraham can put his eyeballs on, and he said, now that land I'm going to give to you. Now that's part of it, Right? It's not just the land. He said, because I'm going to bless your seed. I'm, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the earth through you. How does he do that? Well, Paul tells us how he does that. Thy seed, which is Christ. But now we can't go too much more of this, but I want to keep going here just, just for a moment. He builds a second altar here in Hebron. Let's see, where am I at here? Verses 15. Look at verse 16. I'll make thy seed as the dust of the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk. So he's heard from Abraham. He's heard from God. Think with me now. I know I've pushed it too late. I should have started here, but I'm almost done. He's heard God tell him something, right? He told him, this is what I'm going to do. 
Then he said, now open your eyes and I want you to see. Ears, eyes. Now he says, get up and walk. This is all physical. I don't see a I don't see anything leading me to believe that this isn't anything more than a physical place on a spot on the map of any map you can buy today. It's a physical place so far where we are now, right? I'm talking about right here where we are. We're in a physical place. Uh, and so this is to a nation. Now, uh, so that a man can number the dust of the earth, then show some thy seed also be numbered. Now, you can't say that's alone Jesus, but it's in Jesus. Because that seed is Christ, but how is Christ multiplied as many as the stars? There's only one way. By you and me being born in Him, right? So, there is a, an, an allusion to not only Christ, uh, but also to the Jewish people, to His descendants after Him, right? Uh, or none of that would make any sense. Now, verse 17, arise, walk through the land in the length of, I want you to walk all the way to the end, and all the way the width and length and breadth and height. I want you to walk through it. You've seen it with your eyes. I want you to walk through this land. As far as we know, is land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. Now, why God chose it, I don't know. It's smack dab in the middle of everything. I have no idea. <laughs> I'd rather take the Smoky Mountains if you ask me, but I, that's God's business. I don't know. Then move on with me. We got to do one more, and then we'll go to the house, okay? Just do, let's do it one more time because it goes so many times uh, through this. But he builds another altar. And then we see a lot gets taken from Sodom and that great, he meets uh, the king of peace here in the way. And he uh, goes in verse number chapter 14. We get down to verse 15 and he has a righteousness imputed to him. Uh, if you look, uh, it's not part of what we're dealing with here. But in verse number six, he believed in the Lord and he counted to, to him for righteousness. And just a side note. That's the only way anybody's getting in. They must have imputed righteousness, not righteousness of their own. You can't do good enough for God to love you and accept you. And it started all the way back here. We can see it from the very beginning, even in the garden, that you're going to have to get in based on the sacrifice and payment of another. You're not able to pay for your own right debt that you owe to the Lord. Now, uh, go on with me in chapter 15. We're going to look at a couple other things after he's uh, won this great victory. He reaffirms his covenant again, and we need to see just a couple of things that will come back here, God willing. Uh, look at verse number 12. Uh, you're going to see, we'll start to look again uh, at the same thing that he tells Abram. Um, uh, see, Abraham, <coughs> and uh, verse number 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety. That's point number one. I'm not going to preach these. I'm just going to mention them to you. We'll come back. Number one, it's sure. Now, if it wasn't sure, and it was dependent upon a man who was in the flesh, who could... Uh, who... Uh, was subject to like passions as you and I, let's say. Uh, if this covenant was dependent upon him, and this was a conditional covenant, it wouldn't be of a surety, would it? It would be conditional. Well, this could be great, Abraham, if you'll do what you're told. 
That's what I would, the language I would use. But he said, no of a surety. So number one, this covenant that he makes, it's sure. And then we're going to see also it's substitutionary. Look at uh, verse number 13. He said to Abram, uh, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And uh, it also uh, that their servants, they shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. He gives a prophetic uh, statement here in talking about uh, the subsequent events that are going to be coming uh, on down the line. Uh, but I really need to back up because I've jumped ahead of myself a little bit. When you, when you read this, let's stop here and pick back up Sunday. But when you read this, read, reread chapter number 15. Uh, God told him in verse number 6, after he believes the Lord, uh, he says, uh, look with me in verse 8. Are you with me in verse fi- chapter 15, verse number 8? He said, Abraham said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now God, how am I going to know that I'm going to inherit this land that you've promised me? How am I going to know that? Well, if you'll do what I told you to. If you uh, do such and such, if ye will. You don't see that. He says, how will I know? How am I going to know? That's the question that he asks right after he saves him. How am I going to know that I'm going to have this sure blessed land that you promised me? And he says this, verse number 9. Take a heifer of three years, a she-goat of three years, a ram of three years, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. That's not a great answer, is it? Has anybody ever prayed prayers and God answers on some ways? You're like, now God, I don't know how you ended up doing this, but this is not how I would have pictured it. But that's how he answers this question. I want you to take some, some animals. We're going to have a sacrifice, evidently. And that's all he said. And then the sun starts to go down. And he's like, God, I asked you a question. Now, it doesn't say this. I'm reading this into that. I realize that. But that's how my mind operates. He just asked him, God, how do I know am I going to get this land? And God tells him, go get all these animals. Well, that's a, okay, you know, whatever. You're God. You're in charge. I'll do what you tell me to. He gets the animals, gathers them all up. Then he's sitting there. It starts to get dark. The fowls of the air start coming down and picking up the pieces. And he's having to shoo them off. And he's thinking, God, where are you at? What's going on here? And it's like, that's the way I feel anyway. And he's waiting on God to give him this great answer. And he comes down and a deep sleep falls upon him. You know why that happened the way that it did? This is why I believe that's happened the way that it did. Because it was not dependent upon the works of Abraham. He said, gather the things for me. Abraham has walked by faith, but the fulfillment of the promise is not based on who and what you are. It's based on me and what I'm doing and have done. And I think the pieces of these heifers and these goats and these animals, those pieces speak to the broken body of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. And they picture that same thing. So the sleep's going to fall upon him. He's going to have a deep sleep's going to fall over him. And then God's going to do a miracle. God is going to perform the fulfillment of the act of the covenant, which is in the pieces that are separated. Usually the parties that were involved in the covenant would walk together in between the pieces of the, of the offering, of the, the, the animals here. Uh, and that doesn't happen. Only person that goes right up through the middle fulfills this great promise is God Almighty. You see a lamp? Well, look with me. Let's read it. 
We got to go home. Did I say that already? Don't answer that. The fowls came down upon the carcass, and Abraham was driving away. The sun went down. A deep sleep falls on him. And he says, Abraham, I want you to know of a surety. And he going down through here, and their fathers will be in peace, buried in good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. He gives the prophetic statement, and that's exactly what happens. I believe the 400 years included their time in Egypt and Canaan together. But either way, but in the fourth generation they'll come again. They'll come where again? To heaven? No, they'll come hither again. Well, where are they at, Canaan? So those people that were drove away, they're going to come back. Is that not what he says? Now, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it come to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, which is in the south. God confirms His covenant once again. We can't go through this. I'm done tonight. But we're going to go in the very next chapter. You see in chapter number 17 (coughs) in verse number 11, we're going to look. A lot of people say that the circumcision was the conditional part of the covenant. Well, I think we can go through there and see enough in there if we take our time. We can't do it tonight. I've not done this this long in a while. Let's go home. But um, we'll go back through there and you read along with me in chapter 17 and we'll go through there and see. God's going to, two different, actually three different, let's see. He's going to call this eternal. And he's going to talk about circumcision and he's going to say things that have to do with circumcision that uh, take, for instance, He says, if a man has not been circumcised, then let him be cast off from his people. See, it's conditional. Stand to your feet. You've been sitting a long time. Think about something with me. If if this covenant is conditional, and he says, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. You're going to circumcise you, your children, everybody, even the stranger that comes in with you. If he wants to be a part of this thing, be, cut, be circumcised. And he goes into all that. And he says, now, the man that's not circumcised, let him be cut off from his people. Now, what I think that's talking about there, think about the two things that are said in that verse. And I thought about this today, Brother John. He said, if he's not circumcised, he has broken my covenant. He didn't get rid of the covenant. The man didn't disannul it. He didn't flush it down the toilet. He broke it. Now, then he says, let him be cast off from his people. So he has a people and he has a covenant. He just wasn't obedient in what he was told to do. And when you're not, you lose fellowship too. I think that's fellowship. You can't make that conditional And then he continues the covenant on in many, many, many verses. Right? Well, you go through it with me and we'll look at it. And we're going to see how important it is. It's it's important what we believe about the Bible. But Lord, we love you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, we don't know all that we should know by any stretch of the imagination. But I do thank you for the light you have shed and the help you've been to our hearts tonight. 
Thank you for our people and those that are here and those that are not able to be here. Thank you for them as well. Keep them safe and be with them by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We love you. If there be any here tonight that need to be saved and born again, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to see this blessed relationship we have with Jesus isn't based on you and what you've done, me and what they've done, but it's based on you and what you've done in Christ. So help them to see that, Lord, and believe on Jesus. In his name we come to you. Amen. We'll have one verse if you need to come.